0: I want to um, have you turn in your Bible to the book of Ezekiel, the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 36, Ezekiel 36, we're going to talk a little bit about the nation of Israel because believe it or not, nations rise and fall based upon how they do with God, how they treat Israel. And so God has used many nations as rods in which to chasten his children. And uh, then God turns around and chases those who chastened his children. But we're living at some exciting days. But I want you to see some of the things that God has told us that are going to take place. And he told us before it ever took place. Now, we're going to be in the book of Ezekiel for most of the message today. But Ezekiel, see, was in captivity. He was over there in Babylon. And so God used him to write some things. And um, he also wrote some things about why God did what he did. Why God is justified in doing what he did with the nation of Israel. Now, Jeremiah had already prophesied that Israel would be taken into captivity. And they would be there for 70 years. Daniel comes along and he's reading the book of Jeremiah and lo and behold, he saw where they were going to be there for 70 years. And so there's uh, the move to let the people of Israel go and so you have about Ezra and Nehemiah and you read about Darius and Cyrus and uh, how that they came in after the Alexandrian Empire. So all these things were right on schedule. And God knows what's going to happen in the future. But um, now the Medes and the Persians, just yes, they were before uh, the, the empire. But that is what we call Iran and Iraq today. And God tells us what's going to happen in the future. But now notice what he says here in Ezekiel in chapter 36. And let's just start there in verse 16. He says, Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying... Now, verse 17, very important. Son of man, when the house of Israel dwell in their own land, they defiled it by their own way and by their doing. So when Israel was in the land, they defiled the land. They did not keep the land the way God told them to. And it was supposed to rest yearly every seven years. They didn't do it. So they owed God 70 years, and God collects. God always collects. And you can't outgive God, but you can't run and do things against God without their consequences. The reason we read and study the Old Testament is because we learn how God moves, how God acts, how God thinks, what God requires, and that there's consequences to decisions. Then he makes this statement. In verse 18... Wherefore I poured my fury upon them, for they get this, blood that they have shed upon the land. You see, we are a nation also, and a nation I believe that God has raised up. And we have shed a lot of innocent blood throughout this country. A couple weeks ago, I preached a sermon on the abortion, Roe versus Wade. I did it two weeks in advance because I knew what was coming. You're hearing it on the news virtually every day. There has been women marching. Then they had to march for life. And so they're talking about all these innocent children that have been slaughtered, slaughtered, offered as idols and sacrifices for somebody else's sins. I will not go softly around so that I don't hurt somebody's feelings. If I hurt your feelings, I really don't care. I think it's murder, I think it's wrong, and it's a wicked thing to do, and I can't make it sound pretty, and I can't call it love, I call it lust, but anyway, we're not going to talk about that today. We're going to move right along. Now verse 19, look at verse 19, and I scattered them among the heathen, I mean, God's talking about his people, he scattered them among the heathen, the Gentile nations. And he makes this statement, and they were dispersed throughout the countries according to their way and according to their doings, I judge them. So God says, because of their rebellion, I did this. There's consequences. It's not like, well, they didn't see God, but God in heaven is not blind. God is watching everything that goes on with every individual, every family. Every nation upon this earth, nothing is hid, and God is in control. But God does pour out His wrath and His judgment. God is a good God, a merciful God, a compassionate God, and He gives time for people to correct the problem. But if they will not correct the problem, God will step in. I would like to believe that there was enough people in this country to decide, we don't want to go the direction that we were going because it was the wrong direction. It was more ungodliness, more wickedness. And you hear some people say, well, we have progressed to this point, and we don't want to go back. Wait a minute. You left the path. You left the right way. You left truth. You left God. And it's better to get back to the truth than to go on into oblivion and get the total judgment of God. So America, yes, needed to wake up. And maybe there has been a uh, leniency that God will give to us. As he told Nebuchadnezzar in the book of uh, Daniel, that it may be a, uh, a lengthening of tranquility. We could have a little peace a little longer. Now look what else he says here. You notice down in verse 22. Therefore say unto the house of Israel, Thus saith the Lord God, I do not this for your sake, O house of Israel, but for my own holy name's sake, which ye have profaned among the heathen, wherever you went. So when the Jews were scattered and they went to all the various nations, they did not live up to that they were a people of God. They despised God, want nothing to do with God. Many had become atheists. And don't even believe the Bible. They're not orthodox Jews. They don't believe it at all. And you find out God says you have profaned my name. And yet the will of the Lord was that the Jews were supposed to be the light of the world. That wherever they went God wanted to use them. Not only to bring the Messiah into the world. Not only to bring the word of God into the world. But they were to be a light to the Gentile nations of what a nation would be like if they would obey their God. And there's only one true and living God, and that's the God of Israel. There is no other God. There is no God named Allah. I could get sidetracked here, but I'm going to do my dead-level best to stay on course this morning. Now, I want you to notice when he says in verse 23, And I will sanctify my great name, which was profaned among the heathen, which you have profaned in the midst of them, And the heathen shall know that I am the Lord, saith the Lord God, when I shall be sanctified in you before their eyes. Now, there's a day coming down the road. Now, we know that God gave the law to Israel. He miraculously brought them out of Egypt and so forth. Jesus Christ came, and he was uh, rejected. He came unto his own, but his own received him not. He was rejected and crucified. So Jesus Christ, yes, he died on that cross. And paid for the sins of the whole world. So that anyone, all they had to do is believe that what he did, he did it for them. And he puts that payment to their account. The reason that I'm going to heaven is because he paid for my sins. How many of my sins did he pay for? All of them. That means from the time that I'm born to the time that I die, 2,000 years ago, he's already paid for my sins. And the reason that I can't go to hell today or tomorrow because I don't have any sins to pay for. Christ. Paid for my sins. Why? So I don't have to pay for my sins. You can't know you're going to heaven until you know you cannot go to hell. See, I can't go to hell today, and I can't go to hell in the future. Don't have any sins to pay for. He paid for all of mine. But he did it for everybody. But the payment is only put to your account if you believe he did it for you. So when you trust Him as your Savior, He puts that payment to your account. You have a payment for all of your sins. That's the only way you get to heaven. You don't get to heaven because of how good you live or your sincerity or because you will it, you desire it. But if you don't trust Christ as Savior, you don't go. And so this is what God's talking about. He says, now, there's a time coming. You see, He came the first time and He was rejected. He's coming back. And he told the children of Israel, when he comes back, he's coming back the next time in power and great glory. Christ in glory. This is his revelation. When he is revealed and the whole world will see him. They'll see him coming from outer space. This is what blows your mind. They shall see him coming in power and great glory. And the light will shine from the east to the west. And everybody will be able to see the Lord when he comes back. When he comes back to the nation of Israel. Because the nation of Israel, if the Lord doesn't come back, the nation of Israel will be annihilated. The nations of the world are going to gather themselves against the nation of Israel. This is in the book of Zechariah, chapter 12, chapter 14. All the nations will gather themselves together to try to destroy Israel. You think right now, look at the United Nations. Almost every nation has turned against Israel. And then the last president we just had, Obama allowed wickedness to take place because of the nation of Israel, and not wanting to recognize Israel has a right to that land, because God gave it to them. And they have a right not to have their land parted, as he said in the book of Hosea, "They parted my land. You wanted to divide it up, making it a two-state. No, no, God gave them that land, and land belongs to Israel. But that's not what I'm going to talk about today. I want you to look down there now in uh, verse 24. Notice when he keeps saying, I will, I will, I will. Because this is something God says, this is what I'm going to do. I will take you from among the heathen, gather you out of all countries. And he says, and will bring you into your own land. God says this is what he is going to do. Now, we're living 2,000 years since Christ. This was written over 500 years before Christ. So God had already said He's going to scatter the children of Israel unto all the nations of the world. Did it happen? And He says, you're going to go back to your land one day. Have they done it? Name any other people that's done that. They haven't. There's no other group of people in the whole world that's ever done it. But God says... This will happen to you. Now, you think it's just a coincidence? Or maybe the Bible is true. And if it's true about that, it's going to be true about other things. He said 700 years in advance in the book of Isaiah chapter 53, that when Jesus Christ comes, he says he will be rejected and despised. Well, when he did come, was he rejected and despised? And the Bible said he would be cut off, but not for himself. Was he cut off? Yes. Did he do anything wrong? No. Just like God promised. And He was born where He was told He was going to be born in Bethlehem, Africa. Just a coincidence? I don't think so. Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. We talked about that last week. Now, I want you to see this. He says in verse 25, Then I will sprinkle clear water upon you, and ye shall be clean. From all your filthiness, and from all your idols will I cleanse you. Now, This is a tremendous promise. You see, the very next verse, the very next verse talks about how that I'm going to put within you a new heart. Look what it says in verse 26. A new heart also will I give you, a new spirit will I put within you, and I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. In other words, God said, this is what I'm going to do. Now keep this in mind. Here we are living at this part of time right now. We're right before the rapture takes place. That's when Christ is going to come in the air and those who have trusted the Lord are going to be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Now, when we were lost, we were children of the flesh. The Bible says we had a stony heart. Hard-headed, stiff-necked. So God had someone explain the gospel to us. The good news. We heard this good news of how we can't save ourselves. We can't deliver ourselves from this old sinful nature. Regardless of how hard you try, you can't stop sinning. You may want to stop sinning. You wish you didn't sin, but you still say and do things and think about things you know is ungodly. And every person in this room is guilty. And you know it, and I know it, and God knows it. You can't stop your sinful thoughts. Here it comes, there it goes. But it came. It's called the blackbirds. I preached a sermon one time called the blackbirds. Now you can't help when those blackbirds fly over your head. But when you let them stop and build a nest in your hair and lay eggs, now you've got to stop that. You may not be able to stop those thoughts when they come, but you can keep them going. But you have a problem. So what the Lord says is, I'm going to the cross for the purpose of making you clean. I am going to take away this old flesh nature that you have. What I'm going to do is I am going to give you a new birth. This new birth. This is what he's talking about. A new heart. You see, the Bible says in Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9, he said that man has a wicked heart, sinful, desperately wicked. And who can know it? You can't understand yourself. You may want to love, and then you turns to lust. And you want to hate and you don't like the way it are. You'd be surprised how many people are just in a turmoil all the time. So dissatisfied with what they are and the way they are. And wishing you could be maybe a, like Kellogg's cornflakes, just a little bit better. But we're all sinful. So Christ came into the world and he says, Now, if you believe that I did this for you, I will give you a new birth. 57 years ago, little old Yankee trusted Christ as a Savior. God gave me a new birth. This new birth was born of God. My new birth was born without a sinful nature. I still got my old physical flesh birth. So my flesh birth, my first one that I got a few years back, has an old sinful nature. And that old sinful nature is always sinful, and I can't change it. So God gave me a new birth with a new nature. A new nature that's divine, just like God's. See, God is my father. That means He bore me. He's the one that birthed me. He's he's my father. And He is holy and righteous and just. And He has no sinful nature. So, when I was born of God, my new birth doesn't have a sinful nature. It's as perfect and as righteous as God Himself. That's the new birth. God promised Israel this new birth. As a nation. Now, individually, they can believe on the Lord. But God talking about as a nation. So the Bible says when Jesus Christ comes back in power and great glory, that the children of Israel will see Him and believe on Him and be saved as in a day. The book of Romans in chapter 11. The nation of Israel are going to accept Jesus Christ as their Messiah. They're going to believe. Because it says in Zechariah, in chapter 13, that they saw the nail prints in his hands. And says, where did you get those? I got those when I came the first time. And now he's come back. And they're going to recognize their Messiah. And they're going to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. But they have just come through the worst seven-year tribulation upon the earth. This seven-year tribulation period is God's judgment upon the nation of Israel, because they rejected their Messiah. And then he's going to judge the nations of the world because of how they treated Israel. So he's going to get them all. So where are we going to be during this period of time? Well, I got it made. I'm not going to be here. You see, when the rapture takes place, I'm going to be out of here. I'm going to have a ringside seat. I'm going to be watching over the banister of heaven. I won't be up there. If you have trusted Christ as your Savior, to be absent from this body and this life, present with the Lord. See, when I die physically, that's my flesh birth with my old sinful nature. But I've been born twice. My new birth doesn't have a sinful nature. It can't die. If it cannot die, how long would I live? Forever and never and ever. So this is what he's talking to them about. But he told them that in the Old Testament. So look what he says in verse 27. And I will put my spirit within you. See, he hadn't done it yet, but he's going to. You see, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come upon a person, they'd do a job, and then the Holy Spirit could leave. This is why David said, I pray I take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Because in those days, the Holy Spirit didn't indwell, he just came upon him to accomplish certain things. Samson was a great man of strength. That's because the Holy Spirit came upon him. When the Holy Spirit left, he didn't have any strength. And that woman thought she did it all. It was the Holy Spirit had withdrew from him. Now keep us in mind. Look what he says in verse 28. He promises them this. And ye shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers. And ye shall be my people and I will be your God. I will also save you from all your uncleanness. And I will call for the corn and will increase it and lay no famine upon you. And I will multiply the fruit and so forth. This is what God said. I'm going to do this for you. Because you say, well, well, why is he going to do all this? Is it against their will? Does God override? No, there's a reason why he does this. There's a reason. Look in verse 37. Jumping a little bit ahead, but it's okay. Thus saith the Lord God, I will yet for this, and you ought to underline these two little words, be inquired of by the house of Israel to do it for them. Because the people are going to want it. You see, they are not going to be one against their will. God said, this is what I'm going to do because you inquired. You want it. And so the reason I'm saved today, God so loved the whole world, but I'm saved because I desired it. If I had not accepted Christ as my Savior, I would not be saved. If you had not trusted Christ as your Savior, you would not be saved. See, God doesn't pick and choose who He wants to save. He'll save whosoever believeth. And if you want it, you can have it. God will not force anybody to believe anything he says. He will allow you to suffer the consequences of your decision. But he says, if you want to know whether or not, if it's true or not, look at the nation of Israel, look at the world, and see if what God said in his word isn't true. Is there a nation of Israel today? Did God say he's going to do this? Were they scattered upon the face of the earth. And this was written 2,500 years ago. It looks to me like somebody knew what they was talking about. Aren't you glad you're living the day when you see these things being fulfilled? Now notice this. He says there in uh, verse 35, And they shall say, they shall say, This land that was desolate is become like the Garden of Eden. This land will be like the Garden of Eden. The way he describes it in the book of Isaiah is that it, it will be like blossom as a rose. Blossom as a rose. The land of Israel. It will be everything God promised that it's going to be. There's people today that do not believe that the people who went to Israel are really Jews. And they believe that America is now the new Jerusalem and all that stuff. That's not the truth. That's not the Bible. God says I'm going to take them back to their land that I promised their father's. And that is so important to remember. Look what he says in verse 37 again. Thus saith the Lord God, I will yet for this be inquired of by the house of Israel to do it for them. I will increase them with men like a flock. This is what God is going to do. Now, look there in verse 11. In verse 11 of Ezekiel chapter 37. Ezekiel 37 verse 11. God says, as He looks out upon the nations of the world, His people are like, well, they're dead men's bones. They're dead. They're separated from God. Separated from their land. They have no life. So He says, this is what I'm going to do. In verse 11, Then He said unto me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried, and our hope is lost, and we're cut off from our parts. So God says, um, I'm going to work a miracle. And isn't it wonderful that you and I are privileged to see part of this miracle? Notice in verse 12, Therefore prophesy and say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I O my people, I will open your graves, that means from other nations, cause you to come up out of your graves, out of those nations, and bring you into the land of what? America? No, it didn't say America. Israel. And then he says this, in verse 13, And ye shall know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves, O my people, and brought you up out of your graves, and shall put my spirit in you, and ye shall live, and I shall place you in your own land. Then shall you know that I, the Lord, have spoken it and performed it, saith the Lord. God says, I want you to know I'm God. And I want the nations of the world to know I am God. And that's why he keeps saying over and over again, that the heathen may know. See there in verse 28, I'm jumping a little bit, but I want you to see the verse. In verse 28 says, and the heathen shall know that I, the Lord, do sanctify Israel, when my sanctuary shall be in the midst of them for how long? Forevermore. So during the kingdom, when he comes into this world, upon this earth, this thousand year reign, God says, I'm going to have my tabernacle. In the book of Acts, he talks about in chapter 13. He says, I am going to build the tabernacle of Israel. He says he's going to do it. The Lord's coming back. Now, they're going to have one at the beginning here, but it's going to be destroyed again. A lot of wicked things are going to happen during this period of time, the seven-year period upon the year. It's the worst period of time mankind has ever known. The first part of it will be called peace and safety, and then sudden destruction. Because in the middle of it is when the head of this last world government will claim that he is God and go into the temple and claim to be God and deceive the whole world. Israel is going to make a peace treaty, but it'll be a false peace treaty. That's coming on down the road. How much time we have left, I don't know. I really don't care. It doesn't change one iota, one thing that I do. I'm still going to try to win as many people to Christ as I possibly can between now and the time that I'm checked out of here. I believe that's what God wants us to do. So he says, I'm going to take... These two sticks, Israel and Judah, and I'm going to bring them together and I'm going to make one nation out of them, and this is what he's going to do. And so he says here in verse 19, Say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I will take the sticks of Joseph, which is in the hand of Ephraim, and the tribes of Israel, his fellow, and will put them with him, even with the stick of Judah, so Israel, Judah, make them one stick because they were divided because of the sins of Solomon and his sons, the kingdom was split and divided. Ten kingdoms to the, the, tribes to the north, that was Israel, their capital in Samaria. And then you had Judah and Benjamin, that was the tribe of Judah, and their capital was in Jerusalem. Well, the Assyrians came and took the northern ten tribes, and then years later, here comes Nebuchadnezzar and took the nation of Judah and uh, Benjamin and took them into captivity into Babylon. So, God says, in the end time, He said, I'm gonna bring them back and they're gonna be one nation. So, I look forward to this great time. I uh, wanna see it from up, up here, but look at how many things are happening to take place. So, can we know the Bible is true? If the Bible is true in all of this, do you think the Bible could be true on this thing about hell? Something we don't like to talk about, you know, that place called hell, the suffering and eternal punishment, torment forever and ever. This is why we want to keep winning people to Christ. This is why we have the kids going out on Friday night soul winning. And whenever they want to, they can win people to the Lord. I drove in the other day getting ready for my class, and there's John John sitting out here talking to somebody. Uh, The the car broke down, and John John was out there doing that thing with the wallet, whatever that wallet is. But John John was talking to him. He said he led him to the Lord. Well, they'd have been saved anyway. No. No. You don't find that in the Bible. But this is so important. Now, notice what he says here. Look there now in verse 21. And say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I will take the children of Israel from among the heathen, whether they be gone, and will gather them on every side and bring them into their own land. Now, is um, the Bible probably true? Has anybody else ever said anything like this? Anybody else make it happen like this? That God sold what was going to happen and this happened? Look what else he says in verse 22. And I will make them one nation in the land upon the mountains of Israel. And one king shall be king to them all. And they shall be no more two nations. Neither shall they be divided into two kingdoms anymore at all. But you see, that hasn't happened yet. Why? Israel don't have a king. He says, they shall in Hosea... He's talking about they shall abide many days without a seraphim and without a teraphim and without the, the tabernacle they offer, and the offering the sacrifice and so on, without a king, without a prince, all that happens. But when he comes back here, here comes the king. See, it ain't over yet. He's told them what's going to take place. In our lifetime, yeah, they've gone back to the land, but they're in unbelief. But he talks about here in the book of Ezekiel, he said, I'll put my spirit in them and they shall believe on me and blah, blah, blah. That ain't through yet. He can't have a peace treaty made with Israel if there is no Israel. They just happen to be back in the land. And then he comes back and it says that the nations are going to try to destroy the nation of Israel, the nations of the world, all going to turn against Israel. Russia is going to come down against them and mention some of their allies like Iraq and Iran. That's in the 38th chapter of Ezekiel. So that's going to take place. But Israel is not over yet. God promised these things are going to happen. So it's going to force them, you either be annihilated... Or where is your deliverer? Where is this deliverer of Israel? You know, back here they were looking for this knight in shining armor, and he came like a lamb. Here comes the knight in shining armor. And he's going to do what he promised he's going to do. But now, this is so important. I want you to see this. Look in verse 24. And David, David, my servant shall be king over them, and they all shall have one shepherd. They shall also walk in my statutes and observe my statutes and so forth. And then you look down in verse 25. The last part of verse 25 says, And their children's children forever. And my servant David shall be their prince for how long? David's coming back. Now, in the book of Matthew in chapter 8, it says, They'll come from the east and the west, and they shall sit down, and there will be Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all these guys. They, hey, they're going to be there. That's talking about doing here. So that's why they call it the Davidic millennial kingdom. Christ will be here. But I believe David will be here. Now, how they work it out, I don't care. But I do know that even Jesus could be, he came from the root of Jesse, so he could be, you know, he was uh, uh, before David and he's after David. So he is why David says, my Lord hath said unto my Lord. He came from him and then he says, my Lord. Said to my Lord. Jesus is the Lord. He is God in the flesh, and he's going to come to this world, and he may be David here, or he may be Jesus here, and David is literally going to be here, and it wouldn't bother me either way. I really don't care how he solves the problem. I'm going to be here too. Now, notice what else he says. Look there in verse 26. Moreover, I will make a covenant of peace with them. It shall be an everlasting covenant with them, and I will place them and multiply them and will set my sanctuary in the midst of them for how long? Forever and ever. Now, you get into the book of Ezekiel. That hasn't happened yet either. See, he'll tell you this is what he's going to do. Talks about this new birth that he's going to give them because they're going to believe on the Lord. Well, that happens right here. That's not here. That's here. Now, individually, a lot of people can believe on Christ. The first Christians were Jews. Jesus was a Jew. The apostles were Jews. So I talked to a Jew one day. I says, I'm a better Jew than you are. He says, What? I says, I believe your book. And I believe those Jews and what they said. I've studied their writings. I said, I've studied your religion and probably know it better than you know your own religion. Well. I was talking over there in Israel one time to a guy that was uh, our guide. His name was Ben. And uh, this is the first time I went over there, and Hank Lindstrom and I, we went, and Dr. Paulson and a number of others. And it was in 1985. And it was so wonderful talking to him about the things that he's showing. He's taking us around and showing us this happened here, and this happened here, and this happened here. Like, it's all true. It's in the Bible, and he's teaching it just like the Bible said it. So I talked to him one night. He said, I don't believe it. You don't believe it. But he's telling us, because he's our guide. And then one time I went over there to Israel and they gave me Shruk. And he, he was a Palestinian. A guide to the land of Israel, and he's a Palestinian. And he didn't say this is what happened here, like he believed it. He didn't believe it at all. And he took David and Goliath, and he minimized that. It was no miracle at all. Everything that happened, and Jesus walking on the water. He didn't believe in it. And I said, that, that, uh, sir, that's not what happened. This is what happened. And so we go to another place, and he starts saying, oh, sir. I said, that's, that's not what the Bible says. This is what happened. So after a while, he says, and this, uh, preacher, why don't you go ahead and tell him what happened here? <laughs> that's the truth. Raise my right hand. This is my right hand. So I had fun. Oh, my tour guide telling people what happened here. He said, how do you know? I read the book, and I believe the book. This is the book, and I believe it. Chapter 38 gives us some interesting things. Look there in verse 5 of chapter 38. Persia, that's Iraq and Iran, Ethiopia and Libya. These are people that are going to come together as nations and come against Israel. And verse 6, At Gomer and all of his bands, the house of Togomar, many believe it's Turkey, Syria, area. And he says in verse uh, 8, after many days thou shalt be visited. In the latter years thou shalt come into the land that is brought back from the sword. And he says you'll come against the mountains of Israel. And what's north is up in verse 2, the son of man set thy face against Gog, the land of Magog, Meshach, and Tubal. Many believe it could be referring to uh, Moscow to both. Whether it is or not, I don't care. It's north of Israel. And they're going to come down against the nation of Israel. And who is going to win? <laughs> God is going to intervene and protect His people. But he noticed what he says there. Look in verse 14. Therefore, son of man, prophesy and say unto God, Thus saith the Lord God, In that day when my people of Israel dwell of safety, shalt thou not know it? And thou shalt come from thy place out of the north parts This is a battle that has not yet ever taken place. Isn't it wonderful to know that the Bible is true? I believe it's true with all my heart. Take your Bible and turn to the book of Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24. You realize how close we are? You look at the world situation and it's lining up just like God said it would. We're living at some of the most exciting days. I can't hardly wait to the next day to find out what's going to happen today. Studying the news, watching this, and decisions that are made, blah, 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 blah. Watching all the people squirm, and hollering, and ranting, and raving. You say, you get a kick out of all, Oh, I get a kick out of everything. Here in Matthew, in chapter 24, look what he says in verse 15. When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, sent in the holy place. Look up here. This is verse fifteen. That verse is right here. They asked Jesus this question: he's, "What are the signs of your coming, and um, you know what, what's going to happen?" And so he's answering their question, and he says, "When ye shall see, they will they will not see this that those that he was talking to, but he's he's looking down the road, because you see none of this happened in his time here. That none of it happened." It's in the future. It's here. This is that seven week of Daniel that has not yet been fulfilled. 69 weeks was up to the time when Christ was crucified. Now we have seven years that's still out there in the future. That belongs to part of the law. And so the Lord says, this is what's going to take place. And he says, the Antichrist is going to go into the temple in Jerusalem and he will claim himself to be God. So it's a warning to the children of Israel, get out of Israel. And the reason is because they thought peace and safety. Everything's fine because they're going to make a peace treaty. Israel wants a peace treaty so bad, they're just about ready to do anything to get a peace treaty. But it's going to be a false peace treaty. It's not going to be good. But anyway, notice what he says now. Look there in verse 21. For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. Look up here. This period of time will be the worst period of time the world has ever known. I mean, you're talking about the stock markets and all that. Everything's going to crash. Everything's going to crash. There'll be no food. People are going to die. As Talking about famine in the book of the Revelation in chapter 6 when he opened up these seals. All of the things that can go wrong will go wrong. The Bible has taken God's people out of here. And so we are in heaven, and they didn't want us here. Did you know we are the salt of the earth? We're what's preserving God's judgment from taking place now. But when God takes us out, Katie, bar the door. It's coming. And he says it'll be the worst period of time the world's ever known. There's never been a time like it before. Won't be a time like it afterwards. So people that will be here during this period of time, the Bible says there'll be a one-world government. It'll devolve into a, a one-world religion. And they will go around cutting off people's heads. In the book of Revelation in chapter 20, it says, And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the cause of Christ. I wonder what religion does that. But anyway, we'll move right along. Down in verse 22, And except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved, no flesh left alive. The world is going to be where it's possible that man can destroy mankind from the face of the earth. Did you know there's a few people that believe that that literally could happen? That there's some nut somewhere that could mash a little old button and start a nuclear war and a chain reaction and boom! Hey, the world is gone. You know what? I don't. I'm not advocating things like that. But I'm just saying, if the worst-case scenario, I'm going to heaven. I'm going to be in a new heavens in New York. See, I, I, I already I got it made. But don't you want to see it? everybody trust the Lord, live in peace and harmony and have a good life and not have to worry about things like that? But there's wicked people in this world. Notice what he says. No flesh be left alive. This is because judgment is coming. Now, notice what he says here. Look at verse 27. For as the lightning cometh out of the east and shineth even unto the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Look up here. Soon as this is over, we're we're right here in the tribulation. Then appears the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And He's coming back. And then He says in verse 29, Immediately after that tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened, moon shall not give her light, stars shall fall from heaven, powers of the heavens shall be shaken. And get this, and then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. See, all those things that's going to happen, is going to happen in the last part. Then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then notice this. Notice what he says in verse 30. Then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. They'll see Him coming in power, great glory. So, Do you believe that the Bible is true? I believe it's true. Do I believe Jesus is coming back? Yes, I do. Do I believe that if he's the one that said all of this and it happens just like he laid it out? Well, what did he say about how to go to heaven? You stop and think about this. That's the most important thing you and I could ever do is to know for certain we have eternal life and know that we're going to heaven whenever we die. Now, how do you know you have eternal life? Because you're so good. No. Because you're a member of Calvary Community Church. Because you give a lot of money. No. The only reason you'll go to heaven, the only reason I will go to heaven, is because we took him at his word. We believe that Jesus Christ died for us so that I don't have to pay for my sins. He paid for my sin, And all he wanted me to do After he came back from the dead, all he wanted me to do is to believe he did it for me. You ever heard this verse? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And if you'll believe it, you will have what? Everlasting life. Shall not perish means you will not go to hell. If you believe it, you cannot go to hell. If you believe it, you get to go to heaven. Simple. So in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, he tells us this. Because you've got to believe it. That means faith. It means you've got to take it in his word. So he says, for by grace are you saved. Through faith, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works. Lest any man should boast. I was 18 years old. And I trusted Christ as my Savior. And God said, if I trusted him, he would save me. That's how I know I'm going to heaven. Because he's going to keep his word. He promised me the free gift of everlasting life. And if it's everlasting life, how long would it last? And if it lasts forever and all your sins are paid, where would you go when you die? To heaven. So can you know you're going to heaven before you die? You can know it. And that's the best news in the world. But see, all this other stuff is to help us build our faith. We're to study these things, know these things, believe these things because it tells us God's word is true. We're living far enough on this side To see what God has done. And we should believe the rest of it. So the next thing to happen according to God's timetable. Is for this to take place. It's called rapture. If the rapture took place today. That means that while we're sitting here right now. The Lord came in the air. There'd be the sounding of a trumpet. And we would be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. And this old flesh vile body would put on a new body be changed, made incorruptible, and I would be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. And everyone who's trusted Christ as Savior, you will just disappear from this earth, and we will appear at the judgment seat of Christ. Disappear and appear. Just that quick. It's the best news in all the world. There's no tricks to it. So the next thing to happen is for the Lord to come back. The question is, if He came back today... Would you be ready? It's not based upon, are you good enough? Or are you how you living? It's did you or did you not accept Jesus Christ as your savior? That's the most important thing you can ever do. Now watch. Watch my hand real close. At no time will it ever leave my wrist. This wallet represents sin. This is you and me. All of us have sin. Now we commit the sin because we have a sinful nature. So you see, you say, well, I'd like to separate it, but see, God loves us, but he hates that sinful nature that we have that produces this sin. And because of sin, we have a payment to make. The wages of sin is death, so that means we're all condemned. But God loves us, wants us to go to heaven, and to go to heaven, you have to be perfect, as righteous as God. And none of us are perfect. None of us are righteous. So there's no amount of good deeds we can do to pay for sin, because that's not the payment for sin. It's that you have to pay for it by death. So since everybody has sinned, everybody's guilty and everybody's condemned. And so one by one, people are dying. And one of these days, you're going to die. But God says you cannot save yourself. You cannot deliver yourself from this. Regardless of how much you want to desire it, it's impossible. This hand represents Jesus Christ. He's the Lord God in the flesh. Came into the world because he loves us. He hates our sin because our sin separates us from him. So Jesus Christ, who had no sin, didn't have to die. So why did he die? Well, we were going to have to die and pay for our sins, which would be eternity in hell. So by him paying for our sins, we don't have to go to hell. We can accept that payment he made. And if we accept this payment, then I've got a payment for my sins, and I don't have to pay for them. He paid for it. But if you reject the payment, you're condemned. You're still on your way to hell. You're still under the wrath of God. So when Christ paid for the sins of the world, he came back from the dead. And he says the payment's been made. This is why he told Israel, the day will come when Israel will finally wake up. And as a nation, he says, I'm going to make them clean. And I'm going to give them a new heart because he's going to give them a new birth. The new birth is because they're going to inquire of the Lord. You see, People want to be saved, they want to have eternal life, they want to go to heaven, but they don't know how to get there. And that's why he says, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. So when we tell people what the Word of God says and they hear it, they can understand that Christ died for me. And all I had to do was believe He did it for me. So by my faith and what He did, I have eternal life and I get to go to heaven whenever I die. There's no tricks to that. You don't have to give money to go to heaven. You don't have to go to church to go to heaven. You don't have to change your life to go to heaven because eternal life is a gift. It's free. So can you know you have eternal life? Know that you're going to heaven? Best news I ever heard. Let's pray, shall we? Every head bowed every eye closed, no one looking around. If you're here this morning and you have maybe heard it, but you've never understood, maybe never trusted Christ as your Savior, would you do that right now? Just talk to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm a sinner. God knows it anyway, but you have to admit it. You have to know it. You have to understand that the wages of sin is death and you're going to die. You're not going to live here forever. But you have to make this decision before you die. That's why this moment is so important. So if you've never done it before, would you right now say, yes, I will accept Jesus Christ right now as my Savior. I want to know that I'm going to heaven when I die. And friend, if you'll make that decision, I'd like to know, I'd like to have prayer for you. I'm not going to have you stand up. I'm not going to ask you to walk an aisle or do anything like that. I just want you right where you are in just a moment to raise your hand. Raising your hand does not save you. It just lets me know that what I said made sense. And you're saying, Preacher, would you pray for me? I want to trust Christ as my Savior right now. Would you make a decision? The best decision you'll ever make. So with heads bowed, eyes closed, anyone at all. Slip it up very quickly and put it right back down. Anyone at all? If you've already trusted Christ as Savior, you never have to do it again. But if you've never done so, I'd like to know. I'd like to have prayer for you. Anyone at all? If you're watching by internet, right on the screen says, yes, I will trust Christ as my Savior. Friend, would you trust him? I pray that you will. Father, we thank you again for your blessings. Thank you for all that you've done for us. We thank you for our church. Thank you for these that are soul winners. They share the gospel. We thank you for these young men and women that you blessed us to know. In just a short period of time, they become very precious to us. We want the best for them. Bless their family. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.